All right, I want to talk this morning about 1 Peter and I want to continue on in our discussion of the first letter of Peter. And Peter's going to talk to us today about something that is probably talked about maybe a lot in many churches, but I'm not sure we really understand it. I know that I don't really enjoy talking about it. One of the things that I appreciate about going through a a study like we're doing, going through a book of the Bible, is that it forces me to talk about things that I don't really like to talk about. And, I, and this is, you're going to look at this when I tell you what I'm going to talk about. You're going to say, well, what? that's a strange thing for you not to want to talk about. But I'll tell you why I don't like to talk about it, because it's really, really hard to do. It's really hard for me to do this. We're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about brotherly love and how we love each other. In all honesty, I have a hard time with this. I'll, just, I'll be honest with you. I'll be a little transparent here. Loving people is hard for me sometimes. I had a friend that was a coach, and he coached high school football. And uh, if anybody that's been a high school coach, you know the problem that you have is not with the, not with the players, it's with the parents. <laughs> His dream job would be, to high school, would be a high school coach in an orphanage. <laughs> And sometimes I would say being a pastor is easy if it wasn't for the people. But I'm not saying that today. So we're going to talk about Peter, how Peter is instructing his leaders, how we should begin to love and, and live in the love of Christ. And in, in the light of all Christ has done for us, we need to know who we are in Christ and what we should be doing in Christ. So to do this, we need to jump back a little bit beginning at verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. If you have your Bibles, open them up if you would, please. Beginning at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed to these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are now in God. God knew in his omniscience, meaning in his all-knowing, before he ever created the world, that mankind, because God was going to give them free choice, free will, God knew that they were going to abuse their choices and do something that was going to separate them from him he knew that but yet he still went through with it he knew that man was going to blow it he knew that man was going to make a bad choice that was going to separate them his creation that he loved from him so he put a plan together from the very beginning so that he would know how to provide a path from fallen man back into a with a relationship with him that was not a for it was not an afterthought it was not, oops, I didn't see that one coming. He knew it, and he had a plan before the very creation of the world, and he chose Christ. He chose Christ to be that imperishable seed. Now, what's interesting about this <clears throat> is that God, listen very closely, God never lowered his standards of holiness in order to have a relationship with man. Do you understand that? He never lowered his standards so that he could have a relationship with us. If there was going to be a relationship with a fallen man, with a holy God, it was going to only be after 
God did what he had to do to restore the relationship based on holiness so that man could rise to his standards of holiness. He never compromised his holy nature or his just nature to have a relationship with you and I. That's pretty amazing to think that. He did not come down to our levels. No, he's expecting us to take the accountability and to put the effort in and to accept Jesus Christ as the only way to the Father. It's not on our good works, but it is on our effort on believing in who Christ is. It does take work on our behalf to believe in Jesus so that we can have that holy relationship with God one more time. God was completely aware of the fact that we were not going to be able to redeem ourselves. There was nothing that I could do or you can do, no matter how good you are or how good I am, to redeem myself because a perishable item cannot redeem to be imperishable. So God knew that nothing I could do was going to do it, nothing you could do. The only way that he was going to create, recreate this bridge between him and man was that an imperishable sacrifice was going to have to be made so that the perishable could become imperishable. Does that make sense? And so he loved us so much that he gave Jesus, who is and was imperishable, so that the perishing could be redeemed. It required an imperishable to rescue and redeem a perishable. It's the holy sacrifice that Christ made on himself, his holy sacrifice on behalf of the unholy that can transform unholy back to holy. That's what Christ is all about. That's the importance and the significance of his sacrifice, of his imperishability, that he could become the perfect lamb of God without blemish, without any imperfection whatsoever, that he could become the sacrifice to pay for the sin and the consequences of man's poor choices, that we then, through his blood, and only through his blood, can we then be restored back to a holy relationship with God that never lowered his standards of holiness. So when you come before God today, understand you are coming under his standards of holiness that have never changed from the beginning of time. You are worshiping a holy God based upon the holiness of Jesus Christ through the blood of Christ, and that gives us a whole other level of living, a whole other dimension of what it means to be a Christian because now we are measuring up through the blood of Christ, the imperishable, to be imperishable and to be holy. And for this reason, Peter emphasizes to all of his readers that as we accept and apply this transforming power of redemption to our lives, that we need to live differently today than we did yesterday. <clears throat> I cannot live an imperishable life when I'm living like a perishing person. I have to change. I have to allow my life to be changed. I cannot live tomorrow like I lived yesterday when I wasn't saved. It doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect tomorrow. That means, though, your heart has to have a different bent. It means you have to have a different direction. It means you have, to have, you have to have a different goal. And so that takes us to verse 22. So 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 22 through 25, that's what we're going to talk about today. 
Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves. Now, understand this is by no means saying that we have rescued ourselves by our own efforts and our own good works. That's not what he's talking about. Read the rest of the sentence. Let's continue on. Now that you have purified yourselves by, how have you purified yourselves? Not by your own goodness and your own righteousness. You, are, you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. Now, what's the truth he's speaking of? The truth that we are obeying is the truth that Jesus died for our sins and it's our obedience in accepting that fact and applying his blood as a covering for our sins. That has what, is what has purified us and continues to purify us on a daily basis. I am not purified once for all. I am purified daily. It is a process of continuing to be purified as I continue to obey, as I continue to trust, as I continue to apply the blood of Christ in my life. I am purifying myself by obeying in a present future tense. I'm in action tense obeying the truth. And then it takes us down to verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Now, we've already spoken of the fact that it is the power of the imperishable providing the redemption. A perishing person cannot save or redeem another perishing person. Nothing else can do that. Simply the blood of Christ is the payment for our sin. And, you know, we're going to have communion later today, and we're going to recognize that the blood that was spilled from Jesus' body, the blood that was spilled that day that he died didn't just soak into the ground. No, the blood that was spilled was resurrected. Was resurrected into an eternal body, imperishable, never again to die. It is, as verse 23 says, it is the living and enduring word of God. The blood of Christ didn't waste that day for us. It was poured out as a drink offering. It was poured out, but it was resurrected again. And now that we've accepted that, now what do we do with it? This is where Peter's taking us now. Now what do we do? What do we do now that we really know this? And this is where we get, we're going to get into the meat here a little bit. We're going to get out of the elementary truths a little bit. And we're going to get into now what does it really mean to appreciate the love of God? Let's go back and finish verse 22. Let's read it in context. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Love one another deeply from the heart. And this is where I, you know, this is, this is hard for me to really grasp these concepts because this is not who I am. I'm not a true lovey, gushy guy. It's hard. But we're going to talk about love today. The way God loves deeply so that we know how to love deeply from the heart. Not just a superficial, I love you. But no, how do I really love from the heart? The heart of God. How do I do that? Well, 
It says that we do this through obedience. Obedience to God's word creates and enables me and you to have godly love for people. I can't do this on my own. The only way I'm really going to love people the way God loves people is if I'm obedient to his word. When I'm obedient to the word of God, that creates love in me. It creates a heavenly love, a godly love. So what does obedience to God's word mean? Well, let's not make it too difficult. What obedience to God's word means is that I'm going to read it, I'm going to believe it, and then I'm going to apply it. (laughs) I'm going to read it first, I'm going to believe it for what it says, and then I'm just going to walk in it and I'm going to apply it to my life. I'm not going to read it and forget about it just so that I can say that I read it. I'm not going to race through the Bible in a one-year Bible reading program to say that I've read through the Bible. Well, big whoopee. Seriously. If you don't understand it, if you're not applying it, I don't really care. And I don't really think God cares. So what? You've read through the Bible. If you don't know what it said, what's the point? Sorry. Don't read it and then try to spin it so that it doesn't cost you anything to apply it. Don't read it and then pick out the the passages that you want to read, the ones you like, the ones you can live in, and spit out all the rest of the ones that are too hard. That's why I'm challenged as I go through a Bible study like this to go through verse by verse because I can't get out of a verse. I've got to speak it. I've got to learn it. I've got to study it. I've got to know what it means. I've got to apply it. I've got to teach it. If you really want to be obedient to God's word, then understand that he sees your heart. <laughs> understand that he doesn't just see what you're reading. He sees your heart, and he sees if you have an, any agenda that isn't lining up with his word. That's obedience. If you want to be obedient to God's word, then understand that he sees your heart and that your agenda has to line up with his agenda and that that's going to change who you are. Because you, by definition, were a fallen, broken generation. By definition, I am not what I'm supposed to be prior to reading that verse. There is something in that verse that's going to challenge me to change. I'm not good enough on my own. I'm going to read God's Word and it's going to challenge me. And I have to know now, am I going to be obedient to change? Or am I going to be resistant to it? Am I going to try to spin it? Or am I going to try to forget that one? Or am I going to try to skip that one? No. The only way you're truly obedient to God's word is to read it, believe it, and apply it. So obedience, let's get back to our text. Obeying the truth of God's word will give us a love for people that is not a worldly love, but a deep love from the heart. That's the love that God appreciates. It's that heart love from the heart. Let me say it this way. A right relationship with God, a right relationship with God will give us a right relationship with people. A right relationship with God will give us a right relationship with people. Why? Because God loves people. God wants us to love people. A good litmus test of this is this. If you're having a problem If you're having a problem with having a right relationship with God's people, then stop looking at the people and start looking at your heart. 
Because the problem isn't in the people, it's in you. And it's in your heart is where the work needs to begin. So if you're having a problem with God's people, then you probably have a problem with God in your heart. Think about that. If I have a problem with a, per, with a person in church, a godly person, and we're not getting along, and we're battling, the problem is probably in my heart. That our, there's something in my heart that's not right with God. So I've got to look at myself first. I've got to look where am I at first. And the problem's not with him. Now, I'm sure that person has problems, but that's not my problem. My problem is here. John 13, 34, and 35. A new command I give you, this is Jesus speaking, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Not <laughs> you should. If you feel like it, maybe. If he's good looking, if he doesn't, you know, whatever. As, you, as I loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Again, this is Jesus speaking here. And he is ver being very direct. No beating around the bush. This, there is no confusing parable here that needs to be explained. <laughs> there is nothing here that can be misunderstood. A new command is a new command, not a mere suggestion. And it says, I give you this command that you are to love people. I give a command I give you. Jesus says, a command I give you. Well, who is you? Is it your wife? Is it your husband? Is it your neighbor? Is it the guy sitting next to you? No. You is you. <laughs> I'm you. You are you. With this command, I am, Jesus is giving us that we are to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, does this need to be explained anymore? Does anybody confused over who's supposed to who do the loving? Okay. But what does it mean to love one another then? Let's talk about that. What does it mean to love one another? Well, this is a huge question. And this could take us a long, a many days, many weeks to study this. But let me just, I want to go through, I want to describe four words, four Greek words that describe to us love. They're eros, philio, storge, agape. Now, if anybody picked up the papers with the text on them, they're on the back of your paper. All right, I listed them out. So we're going to find some very interesting love, interesting things today about love. So hang with me because this is interesting. Love can be pure and holy, and there are also forms of love that can be twisted and not pure. Just so you know that. And as we discuss these forms of love, we'll see how this can be. Let's talk about the first one, eros, E-R-O-S, eros. This is the kind of love that would consider romantic love. This is a beautiful form of love that God created for us to enjoy in our marriage relationships that results in children and the pure joy of each other. This is sexual love. This is that attraction between a husband and a wife. God designed it that way. Do you know that? God designed us to have relationships with, between male and female, husband and wife, in the marriage covenant. It was God's plan. But this is often confused with mere sexual attraction called lust. <laughs> lust and love are not the same things. Lust and love 
are not the same things. Eros is a state of the heart while it is intrinsically related to the sexual act and relationships, but it is the thing that makes the act beautiful in the eyes of God within the marriage covenant because it is expressing the most intimate forms of relationship between a husband and a wife. Now, sex can be had without eros, love. But eros, love, with the sexual content brings what God has designed us to have, and that is families. God wants us to have children, and he wants us to train those children up to be godly, holy children. And he wants the family to be full of love and joy and laughter. And that's the kind of eros love that we have. Eros love grows in relationships and becomes the glue that holds family together. On the negative side of that, eros love is sexual relationships outside of the marriage covenant. It's pornography. It's erotic. It's stuff that would take us away from the love of God and for the plan that God has for us. So see how love can be, eros can be good and godly and beautiful in the sight of God or it can be ugly and detestable. And it's one of the same, it's one where it, we are told to flee sexual immorality. Flee that type of love if it's not in a marriage covenant. Flee it if it's with somebody else's wife or whatever, right? Okay, I think we got that one. Filial. Filial love. If eros is the love of the body, then filial is the love of the soul. It is easy love and affection. It is bent towards our natural tastes and preferences. Eros and filial are easy kind of love. It just kind of flows out of us. Filial is, is often called brotherly love, which describes the relationship you have with other people in a non-sexual format. It is the kind of love that Jesus had with his disciples. This is about the friendship you feel towards people that are like you with the same interests, the same social graces, and have the same style that you have. God is said to have this kind of love for Jesus. God had brotherly love with Jesus. It's filial love. This is the most general form of love in the Bible, encompassing love, for fellow people, fellow humans, showing care, respect, concern, compassion for people. It is not shallow normally, but rich in emotion and feeling. It's a good love. However, it can be described as well as a negative, shallow love that can be exclusive and can be conditional based upon one's heart condition. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Conditional love. If you make me feel good, I'll love you back. Filial love. Filial love is soul love, whereas eros is love of the eyes. But its strength and its value will depend on the relationship that a person has with God. If I have a right relationship with God, I'll have the right kind of brotherly love with my brother and my sister because it'll be non-sexual. It'll be filial love. It'll be a love of compassion and a love of God's love, how he would have us. Now, storage love is love of community and family. This is seen as the mutual bond of love between a husband and wife in a family format. If eros love is the romantic, fun love that is easy flowing, storage love is the love of commitment. That is huge because so many times our love stops 
at commitment. So many times our love stops when we're bored with our partner. Maybe they've changed. Maybe I've changed. Maybe we don't have the same likes and dislikes anymore. So now that eros love will be fleeting and, and, and will lead me to another person. Storage love, though, is that commitment love. It's, it's where eros grows into a love of commitment. It is the love that is often dutiful and sometimes even unfeeling. But it's very strong nonetheless. It's the love, Sandra, that you described for Lawrence. It's the love that I have for my wife. It's the love that anybody has been married more than six months, <laughs> happily. <laughs> There's storage love there. And, uh, and maybe it's called storage love. <laughs> because we have to store up sometimes in the good times because you know the bad times are coming. And I need to have that love of commitment. And left on its own, the negative side here is that it can become powerful enough to be a hindrance to my spiritual growth. Because the storage love can be more of what I see and taste and feel in our natural senses. And it can, be it can potentially distract me and you from the love of God and the things of his nature because I'm more focused on what I see here in this nature. And it becomes a love of the world. It becomes the love of the things that I have. It can be destructive to our spirit if, if it isn't managed well. This is the love for the carnal and worldly things that can pull us away from a lesser path and away from the love of God. So this love can have a negative impact as well. Now, let's talk about agape love. Agape love. This is the love that is more of a parental, mature, sacrificial type of love. This is the kind of love that describes God's immeasurable and incomparable love for mankind. The Thayer lexicon describes agape when it says that it is the kind of love that takes pleasure in the thing, prizing it above all other things, being unwilling to abandon it or to do without it. It is that special that it is the only thing that occupies your time and emotion and your energy. That's agape love. Agape love usually comes at a cost to the bearer. It usually will cost you something to have agape love. Agape love puts the being, puts one being first over you. It puts the one that you're loving with agape love over your own needs, and it will probably cost you a sacrifice of pride. That's a big one. Agape love costs a sacrifice of pride, saying that I can be wrong and they can be right. A sacrifice of self-interest and a sacrifice of possessions for the sake of the one being loved. This is the kind of love that God had for us which inspired him to send Jesus Christ to the cross. Because he had such a love for you and I that he was willing to give up the best of heaven so that a bum like you and I could be saved. That's the truth. And this is the love that Jesus had for us when he became obedient to be that sacrifice. Not only did God have agape love, but Jesus had agape love because he was willing to go through with it. He was willing to take the pain of the cross. 
He was willing to endure the pain of the cross for the joy set before him, scorning its shame, and so he could sit down at the right hand of the Father today. And here's the deal. This is the kicker. This is why this is a hard message for me to preach, because this is the same kind of love that I'm commanded to have for you, even when I don't want to. But come on, can I be honest with you? I don't always love you. And you don't always love me. But I'm commanded to have agape love for you. I'm commanded to have love for my brother and sister. And it is going to cost me greatly. It is a love of supreme greatness and a love of supreme sacrifice. Because the only way that I can be pleasing to God is if I have agape love for you. John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. We've read this, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Agape one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you agape, if you love one another. Now, all four forms of love work together here. God has designed them all to come together in his perfect plan. But only agape love is free from the form of any human error. Agape love is the only love that cannot be erred by humanity. Otherwise, it's not agape love. I can have erotic love, eros love. I can have filial love that is more of a personal gain at the expense of others or a conditional love. I can have storage love, which is bent on loving what I can gain here in this life more than what God gives me of eternity. Basically, it's where, what if a man gains the world but loses his soul? That's, that's storage love in the negative Agape love is the glue that holds all loves together. It is the thing that God gives us under his godly wisdom and his godly patience that never fails. Agape love never fails. The other three do, but agape love never fails. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4-7, through 7, the love chapter. This is a great one for weddings. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. Now do you know why I don't like to preach about love? It's hard to do this. Come on, it's hard to have this kind of love for people. But when I can have that kind of love in my life, when I can be seeking that kind of love, that will protect us from having the other forms of twisted love be evident in my life. If we make it our goal to always be forgiving, merciful, self-sacrificing, believing and doing good for all men, if I can have my right relationship with God, then the agape love will protect and hold all the other forms of love together so that the romantic eros love can be protected and reserved for marriage that I can wait, that I don't have to hurry on to the sex when it's not right for those that aren't married or those that are in relationships. Your life will be full of the rich blessing of the filial or the brotherly love without having to have your conditions met first, that you can love them before they meet your condition, that it's not conditional love. And that you will not allow the things of this world, this temporary nature of this world, to distract us from the things that are truly eternal. And you will find yourself giving to people and to God without having any reservation of a carnal lifestyle or any desire to do anything that would displease Him. 
As we love with agape love, as we're commanded to, we will find that our lives, that we will seek to honor God first in everything we do, even if it causes us great sacrifice. That we will be more forgiving to others and more humble and extend grace and mercy that has been extended to us. That we will freely give to meet the needs of those around us that are truly needy and see the hand of God working and that we will have a fullness of life that we, have, that we can have no other way. So as we live like this, then verse 35 of John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If I'm loving in agape love, the problem has come when I stop loving that way. Because here's the deal, guys. If I think I have a better plan than God, who am I? And who are you? All right, God has the best plan. And his plan is that we're to love you, that we're to love everybody. And, and, and obviously here, God must make it obvious to people when our love shines or doesn't shine. Imagine how confusing it is when we're confessing to have a relationship with the Lord. We go to church every Sunday. We say, yeah, we're part of Center Point Assembly. I go there, I read my Bible, I do all this stuff. And then I go out into the world and I treat people unkindly. Or if I'm not, or I don't help people when it's not convenient to me. Or I'm not consistent in my responsibilities, thinking, well, somebody else will pick up the pieces when I'm not there. When I, when I allow the love of myself to overrule the, the, the well-being and the love of others, that confuses the world when I'm supposed to show brotherly love. Verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Greed for today at the expense of good for eternity. Greed for today at the expense of eternity. See, love shows up in our lives in, in, in many forms and is displayed by our actions. Love is the fruit that people see in our lives that show who and what we really are. That's why Jesus said when he did in verse 35, by this everyone know, will know that you are my disciples if you, say it with me, if you love one another. See, it must be that our love is easy to see. It must be that our love is easy for the world to see. If they're going to know that I love Christ by my love, it must be an easy fruit to be seen. And at the same time, it almost means that the lack of our love must be easy to be seen. Huh? This is why this is a hard message. 1 John 3, 16 and 8 through 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. You see, we can easily speak of God's love and make it such a nice, gentle, accepting message. And if we're not really going to plan and live it out, then we're not saying anything. That's why this is a hard message. Some people think it's a harder message when I talk about sin. No, it's a harder message when I talk about love because it's harder to live this out. It's easier for me to say, no, thank you, but it's harder for me to say, let me help you. 
When I have to get out of my comfort zone to help somebody out of a problem, that's harder for me to do than just say, no, thank you, I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't go with ladies that do or chew or any of this other nonsense. It's easier to be legalistic than it is to show love. Love is harder to live into. That's why this is a harder message to preach than a love on the message on sin. The commentary says this, if this type of love, this agape type of love is missing, people outside the church will not get an accurate picture of Christ's love and may see, and may see no reason to consider being part of his church. Christians must befriend each other through difficulties, be careful of each other's feelings and reputations, and put aside their own interests in order to promote each other's welfare. Let me personalize this a little bit. Um, and I'm, I'm, I want to be careful. I don't step on toes, but if I do, I'm going to step hard. <laughs> if I'm going to do, I'm going to do it because it makes sense. Listen, folks, we cannot mistreat each other. I do not have the right to talk meanly to you. I do not have the right to offend you purposely. I don't have the right to be harsh and judgmental in my words to you. This body is unique because we're all made up of unique people. And probably if it wasn't for Christ, none of us would be here because we probably don't have a lot in common other than being in Christ. Right? So if something is happening, if somebody is carrying a cup of coffee from the tile area under the carpet area, I don't have the right to say, hey, put that coffee back and mean that and be mean to them. I'm trying to get to the point that we say things thinking that we're right and actually we're saying it wrongly because we're being mean. We're not really showing the love of Christ. We're, and then we get offended and we get angry and we think that we're justified because of who we are in Christ. Does that make sense? We're going to talk about changing some carpeting. We're going to talk about making some changes in our church. Listen, that's going to cause problems. It's going to cause people to have different opinions. But understand, you have a right to your opinion and so does somebody else. And just because you may be an older church person here and somebody newer comes in and they've got a little different opinion than yours, if you talk to them hurtly, wrongly, painfully, do you know that you're hurting them? You're not, you're not really understanding. You're not, you're not showing agape love. We need to be careful here. We need to know that our words and our actions are the fruit of our love and people see our fruit. If we're struggling in these areas, then I would encourage us to look at the relationship we have with Christ. If I'm struggling in being merciful out on the street, then I need to look at my relationship with Jesus in the church. Remember what we said at the beginning? A right relationship with God will give us a right relationship with people. If I'm struggling and having a right relationship with people, then more than likely the problem is in my heart because I probably don't have a right relationship with God. I probably don't have a right relationship with God if I'm struggling and being a nice person. Now, I know some people are just nicer than others, but that doesn't give us the right to be angry. It doesn't give us the right to be bitter. It doesn't give us the right to be short-tempered. It doesn't give us the right to fly off the handle and then say, well, it's just who I am. No, it's not who you are. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You don't have the right to fly off the handle anymore. You've got to stop that. You've got to get that under control. 
Because that you're confusing the world. You're confusing people when you say you're a Christian and you come in and get all gushy-eyed in church and you go out and cuss somebody out on the street or you talk to them bad at the job. You're confusing people. Why? Because your heart isn't right with God. I told you this was not a happy message. Going back and finishing up our text, for all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. For the fact that we are likened like grass. Do you know that grass comes and goes within a day or so? That's what our life is, guys. And if we're living our life here that is so bent on the temporary things, we're going to give up the eternal things. And that's what, God is, that's what Jesus is trying to say here. But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word that was preached to you, that we are to love each other sacrificially. It means I've got to learn to bite my tongue. It means I've got to learn to know when to say something and know when to not to say something. How do I say it? Big, big words not to say. Jackie, as we conclude, would you come up? We're going to have communion in a little bit. But as we end today, Peter is encouraging us, as in all the other new t- writers of the New Testament, that we must love people in the same way that God loves us. And the way that God loves us is the way that Jesus loves us. And the way that Jesus loved us, loved us was sacrificial love to the point that he would die for us. Is that foreign to you today? This is a hard message. It's a hard message. But I have to be honest, this is the challenging message for me to live out as I preach it. I have to do some things differently. I'm going to change. I have to change some things in my life because I can't preach this and teach this and skip over it thinking it's for you because this is for me. Paul writes to the Colossians a really good summary of what Peter has been, what Peter has been teaching us today. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, you know, God chose us. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you're chosen. By God's chosen, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, agape, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, I'll bet I'm not the only one here this morning that's been struggling with this. I bet there are others here that have said, you know, Mike, that's kind of me too. I kind of have the same problems with love. And I don't really like to admit it, but I do. So I want to pray. And I I want to ask the Lord to dig deep in our lives today because this is really where it makes a difference, folks. This is a difference between coming into church just to have form of religion and really coming in to let Jesus do some dissecting and some work. Do you want to be different today? Do you want to be different when you walk out of here than what you came in? Do you think you need to be, first of all? Do you think you need to be different? Would you, would you close your eyes with me, please? Because my eyes are closed too. Father, I just ask you now to search me and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way within me. Anything at all, Father, that you're not pleased with in regards to agape love because I know, Father, that I have not done
the job. And I need you to forgive me today. And I need to come to you and say, would you please forgive me? For the times that I've said things I shouldn't have said, for the times that I've spoke behind people's backs, but by the time I've promoted my own agenda over your agenda, Father, would you please forgive me? And I know there are others here today that need to say the same thing. And so this morning, I just want to ask you, while your eyes are closed, if you're praying that prayer, would you just lift your hand with me? Anybody else praying that prayer with me? I see it. Come on, be honest before the Lord. Every one of our hands should be up this morning, folks. Every one of us. I know that. Because we have not been perfect in agape love. Forgive us, Jesus, for holding bitterness against people that we maybe have hurt us. Or maybe we think they owe us something. Help my love to be true love from the heart. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. This morning, this is a perfect time to come and have communion. This is sharing the blood of Christ, the communion. I know it's 1215, and I know I'm late, but I'm sorry. This message just had to be spoken. Bear with me. This morning, if you'd like to have communion, would you come forward and let's have communion together? Amen. Now, I will say this morning as we're passing out communion, this is very, very serious. Let me, let me offer something else to you this morning as you're walking up here this morning and you're willing and partaking in communion. That if there's something in your life about love and about how you're treating people, and you know it, and if you're not willing to change it, then don't take communion today because it's going to damn your soul. Can I tell you how serious this is today? This is not just a mere thing to do because everybody else is doing it. This is something that we need to apply in our life. If we're not willing to really let God do the dissection and really do the surgery in our life, then we shouldn't be partaking in his sacrificial blood today and his, and his blood. So we need, to really, we need to really repent. This is important. And you know what pleases the Lord this morning? Is he sees our hearts. He sees our hearts of forgiveness. He sees our hearts of repentance. This pleases him. Nothing, no more, nothing else pleases the Lord as much as he sees people coming to him in contriteness and humility saying, I'm sorry. He loves to forgive. He loves to forgive. He died to forgive. <laughs> he died to forgive us. Isn't that amazing? He didn't die so that we could live again. He died to forgive us. And then we get to live again. Amen. Thank you, Father. Lord, as we lift up this cracker, we look at it, we see it's broken, unique. And so, Father, I just look at this cracker and I'm just reminded of my body and your body, how you were broken for me. And I say thank you for the brokenness. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that I can be unique in the kingdom of God, just like this broken piece of cracker 
but yet I can have relationship in the unity of my brothers and sisters in Christ and I can love them. So as I take this morning, I pray that you would honor me, that you'd give me the power and give me the strength to do the things I need to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you partake of the cracker with me, please? And Lord, as we look at the cup of juice in our hand that represents the blood of Christ, this is not the blood that was spilled and soaked into the ground. This is the blood that's alive today and living and is the enduring word of God. And because of that, I have a hope for tomorrow and I have a peace about that. And when I look at that, Lord, I want to know and I want you to know how much I need you to forgive me and then restore me in relationships with others that have they have the same claim to this blood as I do because this blood covers all people, not just me, it covers all of us. We're all under the same blood of Christ. We thank you for that. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Would you drink the cup with me, please? And now, as we take the moment to celebrate this, I would encourage you, if you have an ought with your brother, maybe I should have done this first, the Bible says if you have not with your brother, leave the altar and go to them and make it right. But I'm putting it now because it's just as important. If you have an ought with your brother, you need to take care of it or sister. If you want to be obedient to God's word, you need to take care of it. Amen. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you. We celebrate now your goodness and your grace, and we love you. Lord, we just welcome you in our heart and life today to give us the power and the authority to do what we need to do to be obedient, to be truly loving people from the heart the way you love us, from the heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.